Hey there. Welcome to episode 11 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today, I'm really happy for the pod to be hosting Jeremy Schmidt. Jeremy founded Bucksketball, which until recently was the Bucks affiliate for ESPN's True Hoop Network, until Jeremy retired as a blogger. In our conversation, we discuss life after blogging, as well as some of the things that prompted him to start and, at least for now, end it. Then we delve into the Bucks drafting Giannis Dedekumpo in, in, two, in, two, in 2013. Why Jeremy thought that was then, plus what signs we saw in those first few months that gave hints at why we thought Giannis would be a fun player to watch years later. As part of that discussion, and on the occasion of Giannis's 22nd birthday, we play a clip from his 19th birthday when he said that he missed his family, who was still living at Greece at the time, that he wanted to play Carmelo and LeBron again and beat them, and that he was trying all sorts of new foods, mostly proteins. Today's episode was made possible by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group, rates, integrity, service. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get started. We're here with Jeremy Schmidt of Bucksketball, which was ESPN's True Hoop affiliate for the Milwaukee Bucks until the end of the 2016 season. A, uh, a on hiatus, possible permanent hiatus, Bucksblog, you can call it. Ooh, we're going to leave leave it open, a man of mystery Just and like intrigue. a little bit. I just want to open it a like, little bit. Like I want to maybe think about posting something in like a few years. Ooh, all right. Uh, I'm intrigued. Uh, we're going to start you off with our three quick questions. And for starters, I would ask you, what is your version of Dion Waiter's Island? I would call it Ricky Rubio Oasis. So I, I, I can feel it coming that everyone's going to be out on Ricky Rubio probably sooner rather than later. I think people are tired of him not being able to shoot. There's certainly some sort of undercurrent over the last year or two that he actually makes everybody much better. And that's kind of saved him over the last year or two where – the on-off stats and his teammates' stats when he's on the court have really kind of boosted his his reputation in the stats analytics and then therefore the basketball Twitter community. But I think the average fan is has gone a bit cold on him, and more and more people are kind of looking at him as, hey, he's not shooting, and if he can't keep everybody up at a higher level when he's on the court, uh, more and more people are going to be out on him. And I'm never going to be that person. I'm never going to be out on Ricky Rubio. There's something about the way he plays that I really find beautiful. Like, I think he's the perfect sort of point guard. If he was a, obviously, he's not perfect. He could be a better shooter. But I love that his flaw as a shooter and an offensive player really make him so much better at his strengths. So he, he probably learned how to become as good as he is as a passer because I think passing is a learned skill and awareness is a learned skill. I think he, he got to that level because he wasn't very good at shooting, but he loved basketball so much, and he loved the way his teammates reacted when they made good plays that he kind of turned himself into a guy who was thinking two plays ahead or seeing things that other people weren't seeing, and then he allowed himself to get so good at it, and he forced himself to get so good at it that he could make plays that nobody else was making. And I think there's just a joy and a beauty to that, and I'm never going to abandon this guy. He will, you know, as long as I'm a basketball fan, he'll always have a spot on any team. I will always be delighted. He's kind of my new version of Tony Kukoc. I used to feel that way about Kukoc, too. Ooh. 
Yeah, there's something to the idea of of your limitations enhancing your strengths that you have to learn to adapt. It's you know like Anthony Davis. You know, I think the the storyline there is that you know he was a six one or a six two guard or something like that, and so yep. he learned how to be a guard because he wasn't six ten, and then he's six ten and he still has the guard skills. Absolutely, and I think you see this actually a lot with with guards that are really, really good at passing. Now, obviously Stockton was a guy who could kind of do it all offensively in terms of shooting and being reliable uh, as a ball handler and passing the ball. But with Rondo, with Jason Kidd early on in his career, with Rubio, obviously, these guys, they found ways to be really incredible offensive floor leaders despite this lack of – well, not even despite, but almost probably due to their inability to shoot the ball. And I just – I don't know. I've always found the – their game's really, really fun to watch. And when you have players around them that have a lot of talent, they can really bring out the most of that talent. So it's a lot of fun. Excellent. All right, next question. Player oh, math. I guess also real quick, Kendall Marshall would probably also fall into that category to a level. <laughs> but he just doesn't have all the others. You know, he's not the defender, and he just doesn't have the quite athleticism. He just doesn't have quite enough to stay in the league the way that Rubio does. But I would always, I'll always believe in Kendall Marshall to some extent as well. Yeah, people, I, I remember, like, you know, Kendall Marshall is sort of from the same part of Virginia that I used to live in, and so you'd be playing people that had played basketball against him, and when they describe his game, they really couldn't put it into words. They're like, he's not that good. No, like, really, he's not that good, but <laughs> yeah. but he, he's really good. Like, he's going to make it, and it's like, you know, it, he didn't have the obvious athleticism or size or anything like that. He just sort of had feel for the game, and so you'd, he, you'd play against him, and he kind of looked like ordinary Joe, and maybe play defense like ordinary Joe, but, you know, just the command of the game, he had that thing. Yeah, I love it. That's my favorite. It's one of my favorite things about basketball is when people have that. It's kind of like if you run a pick and roll with somebody and you're both on that same page, uh, that's such a fun thing to have happen, and it opens up and you throw that pass and then they have that layup. And just even when you're playing, you know, at your local gym or whatever, there's there's narrow opportunities for that because you don't play with people or enough or – you know, regular people like us, like we're just not very good at basketball. But with a guy like Rubio, he opens up, a, he like widens the gap for that. It's so easy to get on the same page as him. And having a guy that anybody can get on the same page with is, is such a such an asset. Those guys make good all-star teammates too. 100%. And Olympic <laughs> teammates. There you go. All right, next question. Player math. And so the idea here is I want you to describe a player – that's in the NBA now as a combination of two or more current or former players. So this is another one that I thought about for quite a while. And I think you might appreciate this as kind of a veteran NBA fan. And maybe, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I just, I always seen this video or I've seen the video a number of times uh, when Larry Nance was in the dunk contest and he was the tallest guy in the dunk contest for, for quite a while at some point, right? There wasn't a lot sure. of 6'10 guys in the dunk contest. And looking at the old videos of him in the dunk contest, it was like really incredible to see how athletic he was. I mean, he had, a, he had a ton of bounce for a guy his size. So I'm kind of thinking of like a Larry Nance-Mark Jackson com- like hybrid as a comparison for Giannis right now. Uh, oh, wow. He has that incredible size, but then – Jackson had a kind of physicality for a point guard where he wasn't afraid to post people up and back them down. 
but he could, you know, he's a very, very smooth passer and a very aware kind of point guard. You know, he's one of the all-time uh, assist leaders. So I know that's not necessarily a flashy comparison for how good Giannis is. These are two two guys who had, you know, better than average careers, but not necessarily superstars. But if you take the strengths from each one of those guys, that's a pretty incredible player. And I feel like that's kind of the way that we're heading with Giannis. Yeah, Mark Jackson always kind of gets undersold a little bit. I think when he retired, he was like second all-time in assists or something ridiculous like that. For sure. And he yeah, he played like 140 be. years. But he still, <laughs> yeah. you know, he was really, really effective as a floor general. And, you know, he did rack up tons and tons of assists. It's funny. When you when you told me the two people and you hadn't quite said where you were going with it, when you said Larry Nance and Mark Jackson, I was sort of picturing Blake Griffin. Oh, that's an interesting one, too. I like that. Yeah, that is a good comparison. And I think Giannis has some Griffin-esque qualities. You know, he's put on a lot of weight over the last couple of years and a lot of muscle. And he's, you know, he's way more of a power player now than he was, I think, when he first got into the league. Not that he was, uh, obviously, he's never been a shooter, but he's, he's, he's so physical and aggressive the way that the best power forwards are. But he has that smoothness that I think Nance kind of had as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Third question, you tweeted on November 30, are we sure that going to sports games is better than watching them at home? What were you thinking when you tweeted that? So uh, Eric Name of Brew Hoop, who's a great Bucks writer, he was kind of chastising a bit Bucks fans. The attendance has, has not grown considerably this year, despite what we see out of Giannis and Jabari and some of the other young players on a pretty, you know, pretty frequent basis at this point. But... I don't know that you need to be at game. I, and this might be me being kind of like bitter guy who's been to so many games over the last five years or <laughs> seven years or whatever it's been. But I, I really like just sitting at home and watching games sometimes. You know, it's or especially early in the season, you're, you don't get that same energy at the arena that you get later in the year. And now, granted, if everybody was going to games, maybe you would get that uh, a better energy. Okay. But the reality is that an NBA game in late November, mid-November – there's going to be a little less energy about it. Um, that's almost impossible to duplicate the energy that you're going to get in those late season runs or during the playoffs in November. So uh, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to kill anybody for not wanting to go out at night in Wisconsin, you know, on a weekday, get home at 10 o'clock, maybe, uh, maybe you've had a couple beers, you're a little logy and now you got to get up in the morning all for, you know, I don't know. Uh, an average NBA game when you could have just stayed home, watched it, read Twitter while you were doing it. That's that's not a bad way to enjoy the game. So I, I think it's interesting that we're still looking at attendance the same way that we used to. Fair enough. I don't know what the way to measure engagement is. I don't know if it's you know something regarding social media and attendance and bar turnout and TV ratings. Um, I don't know, but I just don't think that looking at attendance is a great way to solely measure a fan base and, and their dedication to a team. Certainly, it's a good indicator, and it probably correlates. Uh, you know, the, the Warriors are getting sellouts because more people like the Warriors, no question. But in certain areas where it's you know you're going to a Warriors game, it's just it's just a different it's a different vibe, and you know the weather's better, and I don't know. I just think it's totally different than what's going on with Bucks games and all that kind of stuff. When you talk about a Warriors game, does it matter that, you know, to go to a Warriors game, you probably have to lay down like a hundred dollars a seat? If you invest more money, or, you know, you maybe do it less and you go with a little bit more emotional investment. Yeah, it could be for sure. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's not very difficult to get cheap bucks tickets. It's the, it's, they're very affordable and there's deals you can get on whether it's StubHub or whatever. But, um, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just a big commitment to ask anybody to come out to the arena these days. Very good. All right. Well, I have already solicited some of, some of your, uh, opinions, maybe controversial, maybe not, but I'm going to do it one more time as we do our 100 to 200 segment. And I'm going to ask you for some sort of controversial opinion. It can be lukewarm on the 100-degree side. It can be a little bit more scorchy on the 200-degree side. Uh, but I'll turn it over to you, and I'll let you explain it, and then I'll guess, and you can reveal what the score was. Sound good? All right. Yep. Uh, Dwight Howard will never again play consecutive seasons on the same team. So for the rest of his career, he's going to be making one-year stops. Wow. So my reasoning behind that is I think we've entered that phase. We see this with big men all the time. We saw it with Shaquille O'Neal. We saw it with Patrick Ewing. We saw it with Akeem Olajuwon. This is some, you know, these guys get to a certain level once they leave their original franchise and once they kind of leave their secondary franchise. So, yeah, if you look at players like Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, uh, you know, he, he kind of had three homes. He did a lot of good work at Orlando. He did a lot of good work with the Lakers. He did a lot of good work with the Heat. And then he kind of bounced around team to team, Cleveland, Phoenix. You know, he wasn't the same guy anymore after that. Same thing with Olajuwon when he went to the Raptors. Same thing with Ewing where he went to the Magic. He went to the, Spur or the Sonics. A lot of these guys, after they leave their original franchise, you know, they kind of bounce around. And I think we're at that stage of Howard's career. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time in Orlando. He accomplished a lot. I think it's a miracle that he was in Houston for three years. And now I know he signed with Atlanta for three years. But this is someone who kind of traditionally wears out his welcome a bit. And, you know, I know he had a good, a good night on TNT last year where he kind of explained himself. But it doesn't seem like he's someone who's going to ever have roots set up again. He's going to be kind of uh, a gun for hire in terms of his rebounding and shot blocking ability. I don't think, he, I think he's got a few more years before he really falls off as a player, but he's already, you know, not half the defender he once was. And I think we're heading in a direction where, you know, pretty soon he's going to be a quarter of that. And it's going to be, you know, probably similar to what Ewing's career looked like at the end. Okay. So I would say, and maybe we're going to differ, differ on this. I would say that's a pretty controversial opinion just because, you know, I feel you on the comps to Ewing and Olajuwon and Shaq. But I think, you know, that the, by the time that those players got into the one-year stints, they were older than Dwight is. Agreed. And, and, and Dwight, you know, watching him this season, you know, he's, I think he's averaging like a career high in offensive rebounds, or he was the last time I checked. He has a career high, and I'm looking at it right now, he has a career high in his offensive rebound percentage. Yeah, and so he's looked bouncy, and the Hawks have had, you know, for a lot for a long part of the season, they had the number one defense. I think now they're probably, you know, down a couple of notches, but they're still in the top three or four. So, you know, combining that with the three-year contract, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. So I would say that that's like a 187. So it looks like Ewing played 15 years with the Knicks, then a year with Seattle, and a year with Orlando. Okay. And something similar with Olajuwon, although I think he only played for one team after the Rockets. Um, you know, I think I agree this is a hot take. I'm comfortable with this being a hot take. I'll go. It was. I think it's like a 190. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty warm. I, I haven't heard anybody else come up with it. All right. 
So we were actually But I'm kind of like an anti Dwight Howard guy. That's like my thing. I'm not doing it just to do it. I just No, I know. I don't I don't see what other people see. <laughs> I I've heard you in the past. <laughs> I want to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs too. They'll even give you a quote where they'll credit you money toward the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them that ATL and 29 sent you to receive credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgages. Rates, integrity, service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. All right. <clears throat> so uh, you are, at least for the time being, a retired blogger. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about that a little bit because you hear a lot about bloggers when they're blogging because they're using actual media to blog. And so you, you know what they're doing. But you know, I think as a retired blogger, you're off the grid a little bit. So I wanted to know... Uh, you know, what, what's life after blogging like and, and what are you doing these days? Well, I think one thing that's interesting about it is I just have a lot, I have fewer opinions. I'm no longer required to have an opinion on everything. <laughs> I'm no longer required to watch games quite as closely and it's a little more relaxing to be honest. Um, I don't have to look at Twitter during games so much and that's, you know, it's, it's an occasionally a fun thing to do, but when you're tweeting all game long and you're trying to come up with, you know, content ideas and you're trying to come up with clever remarks and you're trying to have an angle and an opinion on things, that can be a little, it can wear on you a little much and it can kind of take, you know, it really did become a lot like, excuse me, it became, it felt a lot like a job by the end. And I know for some people this, this is a job and this is what they do. But for me, this was always kind of a hobby. I had an actual job and this was a thing that I did because I enjoyed it. So the last couple of years, I really just I lost a lot of the enjoyment out of it, only because it was it it just felt like the demand for content was so high, and the what I needed to do co to compete from a blog level was not what I wanted to do, you know. So it's it's been a lot more relaxing. I feel like I have a lot more free time. I don't have to go to every game. I can kind of cherry pick the ones I want to go to, and I can still stay you know intelligent about the team. I still check Basketball Reference quite a bit. I still catch games when I can, you know, I'm reading coverage from people that I consider to be uh, pretty, pretty educated, but I don't indulge uh, the kind of the trolls as much as I did previously. You know, I don't look at people who are like angry tweeting. I, I know a lot of people are like caught up in wanting to fire Jason Kidd. I don't have to go oh, look no. at that, like swim in that world. Uh, so that's fun. That's the part that I enjoy the most, but I do miss the conversations at the games, you know, talking to the writers or talking to the you know, people with the bucks. I do miss that kind of stuff. And I occasionally miss, you know, the games themselves, just being there for it and being a part of the media. But it's, um, it's just interesting. It's interesting to take, to be on this side of it now. So how would you compare, uh, life as a non blogger, uh, before you, before you started the blog to, to life as a non blogger afterward? That's really interesting. The reason I started the blog was I just felt like there wasn't enough smart coverage about the Bucks. I think the Journal Sentinel, who is the local paper here in Milwaukee, they invested very few resources at the time. And I think the only other blog out there really was Brew Hoop. And, you know, they were doing a good job, but I felt like they took an angle 
different than the angle that I was looking to take. So it felt like there just wasn't enough voices about the team. And when I was watching games, I would watch a game and I would think no one's asking the questions that I want to ask. But now three or four people are asking those questions and, you know, 20 fans are, are telling them to ask those questions during the game. And, <laughs> you know, there's four or five outlets that cover the team pretty well. And the journal Sentinels invested a lot more resources and, you know, they have really good writers covering the team. And, a lot of people are asking a lot of questions of the team and the national coverage has improved so much. You know, there's so many different outlets, whether it's sports illustrated or whether it's the ringer or when Grantland was around or ESPN with Zach Lowe or, um, you know, Rob Mahoney, Matt Moore, Zach Harper. I mean, there's so many different people out there that are really doing a good job covering the league as a whole. Deadspin, um, that I just don't have to think about it the same way, or I don't have to, I don't feel the same lack of what's going on that I used to. So it's, it's just a whole different world to live in. And that's kind of, you know, I felt like my voice wasn't needed as much by the end as it was at first. Not that anybody ever really needs my voice, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just like that, that kind of style is so prevalent now and it was not then. So that's, that's, what's kind of interesting. We needed your voice. In fact, that's like the theme for the rest of the podcast is sort of <laughs> going back and looking at Giannis in 2013 and, and the things that you were saying about him then and comparing them to what's happening now. Well, we're we're going to use your voice very, very soon. <laughs> but the, and, I mean, the other thing that's interesting is um, there's such a there's and because there's all these outlets, because there's so many people reading them, there's so much more of a demand for content now than there was when I first started. So I, I, I never wanted to take the approach of pumping out four or five articles a day, covering every bit of news and covering every bit of rumor. I was more interested in, you know, something stuff that I thought was more thought provoking or strongly opinionated, but based in reality with facts on its side. So those were the, the things that I was interested in doing. But, you know, because I was a competitor, I started to have to try and put out more and more content to compete on the, on the content in this content game. But if I found it really hard for me to do that while maintaining the voice that I wanted basketball to maintain, some of that is me just not trusting bringing on more people, you know, because basketball was kind of a very personal thing for me. And I wanted the site to really reflect me. And I wanted the writers to be a reflection of that voice that I thought was, was important to have. Um, and it was just harder to do that at a mass level and maintain the, the quality of content. And maybe there was even some slippage in the last year or so, but um, it's just interesting how, how much content needs to be pumped out right now and how that kind of changes, I think, the way blogs report or write, um, especially ones that are kind of, you know, run by people who are doing it as a hobby rather than a profession. No, I feel you. That's one of the things I like about writing for Hawks.com is I'm not writing something every day. It's like every couple of weeks, you know, something that I've thought about and can, can you know, back it up with some evidence and some justification and some 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 of the things that some of the players or coaches might be saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, handpicking your, the, the, the voices that were going to be on basketball. You, you got a lot of people employed there. Do you, do you recall the full list? Well, yeah, I mean, I really, you know, I valued everybody that came through, but I know like, obviously you're writing with the Hawks now and John Hartzell is doing work with the NBA and Brian Matsad is working with the Portland trailblazers and, uh, you know, Nick Whalen and Preston Schmidt are doing some great things. And I know Eric Benning's over at Brew Hoop. There's a lot of people that have come through the site and gone on to do some really cool things. I, I really I feel, I feel like I'm probably forgetting somebody, uh, which sucks. I think we do this every time. 
Yeah. It's like my grandmother. You know, she'd, she'd love her grandchildren dearly, but if you ask her to list all of them, she was going to leave somebody off. Yeah, and everybody, you know, I really value, you know, Mitch Baumhoff. He's not, I don't think he's writing for anybody right now, but he did, he did a really great job when he would write for us. Um, it's just like everybody did a good job because I felt like we had the right people there that all kind of saw things in a general, not that everybody needs to see things in the same way, but we all approached things, even if we did content differently. Like John Hartzell's content was very different than my content. But he had the, you know, the same overall vision, and I thought that that was cool, and it was, uh, I think it made it a pretty cool site. Now that you're a, a retired blogger, I thought it would be fun to take a minute and explain the idea of, of keeping, keeping an open channel, you know, with the team, with players, and sort of the idea of not burning bridges. As much as I want to avoid metaphors, I really can't there, you know. How important is it that when you're asking questions and, and probing and covering stories, how important is it that you do things in a way that doesn't necessarily tick everybody off? I think it's immensely important. I think it's important to never like slant your coverage in favor of a team or you know just to try and get better relationships or try and build something because it's not what journalism should be. You know, It's not what blogging should be. But... Um, at the same time, you shouldn't slam people just to slam people or, you know, be unjust with your reasoning about why something is bad or why an organization is bad. I wrote so many horrible things about the Bucks, but <laughs> I felt like I was always fair about it. I would back it up with things and then I would be did there you ever at the get, arena. Did you ever get crap for the things that you did write? Oh, I get a lot of crap. Like I would get a lot of crap in like more of a, a playful way um, because I, I would try and, you know, justify it or I would be – you know, sometimes I'd be kind of unreasonable, but it would be in a in a tone or a way that, that seemed reasonable, you know? Um, so sometimes they would, you know, they would give me – I remember when Monte Ellis, when the Bucks traded for Monte Ellis earlier that day, I wrote something about how that would be a worst-case scenario. And then they traded for him, and I wrote something about how no one should go to Bucks games anymore. Like they, <laughs> they, they need to protest the arena of the team to show how unacceptable something like this is. And, you know, I got some flack from the PR department about that. Like, you know, but it was, it was jokes, you know, they, they were, they were, we had a pretty good relationship and, um, because I was usually very honest with them and I would, I just, I took the, you know, a, a, a different approach and I, I, I was never disrespectful just for the sake of being disrespectful and I didn't take cheap shots or I didn't say so-and-so needs to get fired because he's stupid and he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, I would more so question why would something like this happen? Um, so I think as long as you're doing that, most of these teams are going to be pretty reasonable. And I think, it, you know, that's just that's just good for everybody. You know, it's, it's good to ask questions, but it's good to be reasonable and, you know, ask not just ask questions publicly, but go to these games and ask the team about it and ask players about it and ask coaches about it. And if you can't go to coaches and ask them the same things you're writing about, well, then you shouldn't be writing about it because that's not fair. Um, and, you know, it's just not very... It's not, it doesn't show much integrity, to be honest. And there were times when, you know, I, I remember asking Scott Skiles something once that he did not like, and he kind of chewed me out a little bit for it. And it was, you know, that's just part of the game. Um, but I didn't ask him something disrespectful or unrelated to the, the game that was being played in because, you know, there's there's a time and a place for everything. And um, I don't know. It's just uh, you definitely need to, for anybody, I would always encourage to – maintain a solid relationship by being respectful and not doing anything online that he wouldn't do in person.
that's the big thing for me. Don't <laughs> don't be a don't be an anonymous guy online who's screaming and shouting if you're not going to put a put a name next to it and then go talk to people about it in person. Don't be a keyboard jockey. Yeah. <laughs> Fair and that's enough. how you gain respect of you know whether it's players or PR departments or whoever can you know put you in touch with being a better writer or someone to cover games. That's that's how you earn the respect is just by doing being the same person all the time. And you know it's amazing how far that can get you. I agree. All right. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, or really it's sort of the main thing probably from here on out, uh, is sort of the actualization of Giannis's potential. I remember. You know, I'm not normally a person who has strong feelings about the draft. And in that 2013 draft, I remember being excited about Rudy Gobert, Dennis Schroeder, and Giannis. I thought that those three players, you know, had something that really wasn't that apparent in some of the other players in that draft. I just thought that those three really had some some potential. And, you know, thinking about Giannis, one of the you know, one of the fav- one of my favorite things that you ever wrote was something that you wrote the day after the draft about Giannis, about the Bucks taking chances and having a vision and a long-term plan. And I was going to ask you to maybe read a snippet of that. So this is this is uh, this is June 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And the piece that you wrote had the title "Giannis Adetokounmpo is everything we've asked the Milwaukee Bucks for." Yeah, and this was written at a time when uh, it was it was a bad time to be a Bucks fan. Uh, this was, <laughs> you know, Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis kind of running the team, and they had just traded for JJ Redick, and it was really kind of a dark time. Um, they hadn't just traded for JJ Redick, but they were coming off the end of the season with the JJ Redick trade, where they gave up Tobias Harris, and a lot of people were pretty upset about that. Well, um, you know, the end of the JJ Redick era really wasn't that far from the Bucks trading for JJ Redick. Correct. Yeah, it was a couple months span for sure, <laughs> and they didn't, you know, they didn't do anything. It was it was really, really a, a disappointing finish to the season, and it was something that everybody saw coming too. It's not like any Bucks fan really was like, "Oh, this is the move that is really going to put them over the top to get them uh, into the second round, even or anything." It was everyone knew, maybe you're an eighth seed, but you're not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a good setup. And so, you know, what did you write on that night? What did you write? Yes, you know, wrote. what was what was sort of that emotional outpouring that you gave Bucks fans the day after the draft? So I'll just read like three little paragraphs here. Okay. Today we can dream of looking back on this night in five years and laugh about how fortunate the Bucks were to get the mysterious six nine forward from Nigeria via Greek. But I should make it clear that Adeta Kumbo isn't likely to glide into the Cousins Center and blow the roof off from day one. We shouldn't expect fifty five points nine games into his career. By that, I literally mean he probably won't score 55 points in his first nine games combined. Some people aren't going to like that. They'll wonder why the Bucks didn't grab someone a bit more prepared, more polished, and closer to a finished project. The Bucks are going to take some hits this offseason, especially in the backcourt and on the wings. There will be an opportunity for a young player to step in and play big minutes right away. There were some guys av- available when Milwaukee selected a 15 who could have been more ready to do that. But isn't that what we always get on the Bucks about? Thinking about this season rather than the next three? We bemoan the Tobias Harris-J.J. Redick trade because Milwaukee gave up on a potential piece of its future to secure a meaningless playoff position. Yet when Adetokounmpo was selected, I actually had someone tweet at me that this was a bad pick because only a few months ago, Milwaukee traded Harris. As if a short-sighted maneuver in February meant that the Bucks could only make a short-sighted move in June. So that kind of, I, to me, that was really, that was what I was so excited about, was that 
there this guy to me seemed so obviously like the guy with the most upside but like a rare upside you know i know those videos were grainy but <laughs> you could see that he kind of had a little bit of ball handling skill but more importantly like a vision skill like he could see things that maybe not everybody was seeing so it was clear to me that this guy was the only guy who was a real kind of superstar potential uh, of anybody that was going to be available. So that's why I was so fired up was that if the Bucks were going to get anybody, it was going to be via the draft, essentially, for, to get a superstar. So they were going to keep on doing what they usually do, and they did that because, you know, shortly after that, you know, wasn't that when they, they signed Butler and they signed – then they made the Brandon Knight trade. It was like all that kind of stuff was going on. Um, so they were kind of doing the same thing they always did. They were, they were stocking up on these short-term veterans that weren't going to get them anywhere. But none of it mattered anymore because now they had this guy. You know, they ha had Giannis. And uh, at least they were drafting for the future if everything else what they were doing was for today. So that's where I, that's where I came from, and that's why I was so excited. It's funny how much has changed, right? The Cousin Center isn't the Cousin Center. Yeah. Giannis isn't 6'9". Nope. <laughs> And At the yet, start, I talk about John Hammond and Herb Cole, and Hammond's still there, but Cole's long gone now. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous how much has changed. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that, that vision that I think you saw uh, is sort of coming true. I mean, if you look at what Giannis is doing this season, if he's not an all-star this season, then we're doing all-stars wrong. Yeah, I and agree. They just they just made, uh, the league just made him the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, and he had some ridiculous stat line with, uh, you know, you know, over 20 points a game, over, you know, like seven assists and 10 rebounds and three steals and three blocks. I mean, it was just. Well, he's re leading the team in points, assists, rebounds, blocks, steals. You know, he's top 20 in the league in all those categories or something like that. He's just doing everything. I mean, he's really maximizing his potential, and he's in, he's in his fourth year now. Is it? Yeah, you're four. So, and we talked about this briefly beforehand, but he's at a point where his growth has accelerated so furiously every year. I mean, you talk about exponential growth, that's all he's had. There's been no, oh, piece by piece, he's getting better. Every year, he takes a giant leap forward, you know, a Giannis leap forward. Um, and, you know, it's reflected all over his game as PER 10, 11 to 15 to 19 to 27. And that's kind of what the best case scenario was for him was that he has all these athletic tools. He has a feel for the game. And then once he actually gets in it and starts working with NBA level talent and coaches and trainers and, and all that kind of stuff, um, he has the, the work ethic and the feel to really grow at a pace that we've never really seen before. And, you know, I don't even mean physically, I mean as a player and that's, that's what's happened. And it's just, it's incredible to watch. And, you know, he's already the second best, He's already the second best Bucks player that I've really seen. You know, I mean, for me, Ray Allen was like the number one guy. Being 30 years old, I didn't, I wasn't really there for the Bucks in the 80s so much. So it's just Ray Allen, and then you know, a pretty big leap to the next guy. But at this point, I think he's pretty much surpassed everybody else uh, from you know that kind of 2000 range on, and that's that's it's, it's incredible. Yeah, one of the things you wrote. Uh, not too long after he was drafted, as you said, an interesting thing I'm seeing with Giannis' coverage and reaction is how often people are referring to him as adorable. You know, he was a 18, 19-year-old at the time. Actually, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but then you said, I can't remember hearing 
That was one of the go-to adjectives when referring to a professional athlete. Everyone seems equal parts excited about what he's capable of on the court and how he feels about having his very first smoothie. I wanted to play a clip of Giannis. Uh, I was there on the day that he was uh, celebrating his 19th birthday. And, you know, I think it was Craig Koshin. Is that how you pronounce it? Craig Koshin. Craig, Craig um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was the one leading the lines of questions for the most part. And, uh, you know, it was sort of a mix of, of, you know, what he was expecting in the NBA, what life was like, you know, off the court, missing his parents, trying new foods for the first time. It just kind of goes all over the place. But at the same time, you know, Giannis had this patience and just sort of a a joy for life that I think led people into that. So I wanted to play this clip and and, and then discuss that idea. Uh, do you have mixed emotions today? Because I know that you're, you're awfully close to your family and, and they're not here with you today. Yeah, I know it's a happy day for me. It's a very happy day for my family, but you know, my family is not here. Yeah, in uh, the U.S., so I'm a little bit sad, but what, what, what can I do, you know? Things happen. How have you been able to handle that the first month? Uh, I know there haven't been some problems getting over here, but um, is it, uh, what kind of an adjustment has it been for you, to be honest? No, the first month, it was very hard for me because I was like, I was, I'm, I was 18, you know, I'm 19, I'm a big man now. So, uh, I never leave the country, I leave the country for three months, you know, three, four months, so I never leave uh, for a long time my family. So, it was the first time that I know that I'm going to leave my family for a long time and be far away from them. So, it's a very big adjustment for me and I have to you know, adjust myself and see, I hope, I hope they come to visit me. Try to try every day to feel better and call them and do do stuff so I can don't think about it. And it was it was very nice that I played against them. I never believed that I couldn't play against them. And I still I still wait for the next game to play against them again and and try to beat them this time. But my team win them. It's good, though. You know you belong in this league now, don't you, with the, the playing time that you've got now and the, the experience you've gotten against guys like that so far. Uh, I've been in this league from the beginning of the year, but uh, just now I'm just getting some playing time. What have you been eating and drinking here? Everything. Uh, I eat meatballs. I never eat meatballs before. Uh, a lot of burgers, uh, strips, a lot of strips. Uh, I never tested it before. So you grew an inch? Yeah. Donna said you've been in America. Yeah. Wow. Well, you I think you're going to grow more? I hope I do grow more. <laughs> you don't want to? I don't want to. <laughs> this is enough. Six days. Hearing that quote, I mean, I think you get a feel for how bright eyed. And eager and joyful Giannis was about entering the NBA as a teenager. But at the same time, you warned the Bucksketball writers not to fetishize him. So what motivated you to uh, give us that warning? And, you know, do you think at the same time that that joyfulness that we had to be really careful about has helped him get to where he is today?
Yeah, and I think it's you know it's fine to embrace his joyfulness and his curiosity, but it was just there was so much coverage uh, because again this goes back to the demand for content where every article was you know him doing something that people thought was cute or funny or whatever, and it was it was less about I thought he was so interesting as a player, and we were kind of getting away from that, and I think it's fine to embrace these guys and their personalities. Um, I would never say that you know their personalities don't matter, but it just didn't feel. I don't know, it felt like people were almost looking at him as a curiosity more than uh, a basketball player. And that's where I wanted to make sure that we focused on that aspect of it with him. So that was kind of my motivation when, when we would have those discussions. Um, and I don't know, I, I, think, I think his kind of, uh, his optimism more than anything is probably what's really helped him, of those kind of traits is what's helped him be so successful. Uh, you know, he was optimistic that he could do all this. He was determined and optimistic that he could be, you know, a really great player. And that's kind of what helped him, you know, keep him working and pushing. And you still see some of the same kind of hammy attributes. You know, at the start of this season, he made some dad joke. Uh, and so that stuff's kind of cringeworthy. And, you know, the stuff with him and his brother, uh, you know, where they'll do the, he did one post-game interview where he, like, pulled his brother up on a phone. You know, I think it's cool that he loves his brother and he wants him to be a part of stuff or, or whatever the case may be. But, um I don't know. I think that some of that stuff is kind of. I wouldn't be interested in writing about it so much. I'm more interested in him as a player and you know his his more, uh, you know his kind of journey and how he's developed as a you know a person and everything. And I think we we know too little about his personal life to kind of delve so much into that stuff. And it kind of paints an interesting picture of him as almost um, kind of flighty in a way that I don't think is really fair. So I don't know. It's it's just interesting to see him him just kind of interact like that yeah i hear you that's interesting it's 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 tricky i mean it, it, it's part of what makes it fun and i think it you know gives it some context to his basketball playing ability but at the same time you know i think you're right that you have to be careful not to to go beyond what you actually know sure uh you know to sort of wrap it up here if you sort of pictured that ideal scenario for Giannis. You know, either on draft night or after we watched him, you know, do things. I think it was as a Greek junior national player that summer or, you know, in the first few months of the 2013-14 season. From what you know then, is he sort of at the top end of what you could have possibly hoped for him at that point? Well, I'd say the only reason he's not at the top end is because he's not like a great three-point shooter yet. I suppose that would be the ultimate top end is like him doing everything he's doing now with like a really, really reliable three-point shot. I know he shot the ball okay from three, but he's not like, you know, people aren't fearing him as a three-point shooter. So if he got to the point where he's a feared three-point shooter on top of everything else he's doing, I don't see how you could ever expect more than that out of him. <laughs> also, I got this little tiny dog and she is, she is my dog now. I don't know if you can hear her, but she's just digging away, and now she's trying to like bite the microphone. It's, it's really, this is another part of uh, the post, the post retirement, the retirement lifestyle is uh, the dog game. Well, it's good that you know we don't have Skype for, for smells as well as video <laughs> and audio because my dog would be going nuts because she's like a few feet away and she would be smelling your dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, thank you uh, for joining us today. I don't know how to thank you enough for for doing this and giving us a slice of uh, your vision for Giannis a few years back, as well as a glimpse into life after blogging. 
Yeah, man, it's a, it's my pleasure. Always, uh, you know, love uh, love catching up, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime after the Bucks win the title. Awesome, thanks, man. And one more word of thanks to our sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgages, rates, integrity, service.